Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 42, following along with I Can Do All Things Through Christ, Which Strengtheneth Me. Uh, the book of Philippians and the book of Colossians. There are two pieces of information I wanted to share before we get into today's episode. The first being um, that Israel was attacked over the weekend uh, by the terrorist group Hamas. And um, this one is... Um, I don't know why I feel such a personal investment in stock in this, this, uh, what's happening, the current events here. Um, part of it is that I've been to Israel before and I love, um, that area. And I, I love, um, I've, I've always been passionate about the Middle East and, and Israel. In fact, in college, freshman year, I went and took an Arabic class. Um, not a Hebrew, class, not a Hebrew class, an Arabic class, because I wanted to be one of the first missionaries to um, open up the Middle East. And of course, you know, now as a thirty-year-old, I can look back being and and see that that was not going to happen. Um, but I really, I really believed and really wanted to uh, to be a missionary. We had traveled to Jordan uh, to visit family when I was in high school and. It was an awesome experience for me. It really was eye-opening and uh, being able to go to Jordan and then travel into Israel and, and just see what it's like and how there's a lot of similarities actually between Israel and Utah. Um, climate and environment, it, it actually looks a lot the same to me. And so I felt like I was at another home and loved, fell in love with the food. I'm a big food guy and fell in love with the food and the people were so kind and so gracious and so, obviously, I don't know. I don't know. This is this has impacted me pretty hard, and impacted me even harder um, is after continuing to see the videos that have come out and the uh, <clears throat> just the atrocities that <laughs> that uh, the people can can do to each other and um, the. The attacks by Hamas were absolutely evil. Um, sometimes we get confused what evil looks like or or what evil is, the fight between good and evil. And just on a, a really plain and simple level, what happened over the weekend and the attacks that Hamas did, um, let me help cut through any of the confusion maybe that you might be finding in, in the media or on social media. Um, that, what occurred, those acts, absolutely evil. This was not a military against a military. This was innocent civilians and families and um, <clears throat> um, I have co-workers over there and um, I found out that we four people in particular live right on the border of that of the of Gaza. And so um, thankfully all of them are safe. One co-worker, their car was um, they lost their car. It was set on fire by Hamas. Um, others had to be 
rushed out and and you know our the company i work for has gotten them hotels and places to stay and made sure everyone's safe um, but this is really scary for those individuals and so my heart's been heavy i've been praying heavy for israel for the innocents and um i have just been appalled at some even my own friends on social media who have said that this isn't this isn't a clear cut and dry thing it is it is a clear cut and dry there's there's no um this is not a complicated issue when you murder innocent children and women and men uh this this was a coordinated attack during shabbat which is the jewish sabbath um and the jews take the sabbath day way more seriously than latter-day saints do and so um this is, I just want to make it very clear what occurred was the face of evil. Um, if you if you want to know what Satan embodiment looks like, it's the attacks that occurred. Uh, this was not from a, these were not done from a good place. There's no gray area here. Um, you don't murder innocents and then uh, continue to cheer and celebrate and... Um, it's not okay. In in my uh, in my childish way, this isn't okay. And so, that's weighed heavy on me. It's going to continue to weigh heavy on me. And um, there's a lot of factors, obviously. You know, in the last days, which we're in, but in the last days, when um, Christ will come, uh, first there's going to be two disciples of Christ that protect the city of Jerusalem. For three, uh, three and a half years, I believe it's three and a half years, and then uh, we'll read about that when we get to Revelations. We'll talk about that more, and then Christ will come and and save his people. They'll they'll recognize him at that moment. Um, I don't think, obviously, I don't think this is that moment. I think this is a sign to help us see that we are getting closer to that time, to those signs. So, all of this is weighed heavy and. Um, I just, I, I, I think it's important to know what that, that with so many confusing voices right now, uh, to me, this is not confusing at all. This is what evil looks like. And I, I think the blood of the innocents cries, um, cries up to God uh, for what's happened and, and what's been done because there is no, there's no goodness that can be found in these actions. There's no um, righteousness in that. And so I'll, I'll stop talking. Uh, this is, I'm sure this will continue to weigh on me just personally. I, I, at at a personal level, this will continue to weigh on me and it's, um, tough for me to shake this. So I just want to share that. I didn't mean to talk so long about it or, or, or fumble on if you will. Um, but, but emotionally this is, this is impacting me hard. Uh, but let's talk about some good news. There's some, there's, there is some bright points in the world. Uh, Lex and I, Lex specifically, gave birth to our brand new baby girl, uh, Elsie Mary Jean Anderson. She was born October 5th. And um, I'll share this with you. So I'm aware that I always have a spike in the episode whenever a baby's born. I saw this with Sky and I saw this with Maggie that a lot of, 
particularly family and friends who who knew about this seem to listen to the episode in which uh, I share information about this. So I won't not share the information. And if you don't care, that's okay. This is a personal for me, obviously, for my family. But it obviously impacts uh, the thoughts that I have and, and that I share from call, Come Follow Me as well, because the Come Follow Me, it's all about families and all about bringing us together. So uh, Lex, just some background, really wanted to go natural in this this birth. She, through all three kids, she labors really well. Lex was just, she's one of those women who is a natural, I don't know, birth is not a struggle for her. Um, sometimes it is for me because of, of uh, <laughs> all the emotions and the stresses and stuff. But Lex is just a, a superhero. She's an absolute champ. And through the first three labors that she's gone through and, and for children, it's been through epidural. She's done the epidural and stuff, which is a godsend for me. I'm a big fan of the epidural. Would never talk down about on the epidural. Huge fan. I'm in the epidural camp, okay? But she has really wanted to go natural, um, not for any other reason other than personal. She just personally has wanted to. Um, it's been something that is, has been a goal of hers, and with Sky had wanted to, and then as you know, she was progressing in that labor, just was like, I can't do this. And of course I was like, yeah, you can't do this. Let's do the epidural. <laughs> so I have not been a big supporter. Help me there. And she did, she did it. She has, she'd done some training, some preparation and done some birth classes, some coaching. She had a doula who also, I will just say, uh, if you've ever considered getting a doula, do it from my perspective as the, the father, as the husband, doulas are awesome. Like, our, our doula was so, so good and just helped the stress levels come down, um, really helped Lex in her birth. And so, yeah, Lex did all the preparation and the work and um, had asked me to really be committed with her. She couldn't do this alone and, and committed. And I want to just make a note here that husbands and wives, that is what marriage is about. It's asking your spouse to be a true help me and recognize that you need each other and that there is strength from helping one another. It's not about, well, you be strong by yourself and I'll be strong by myself. You do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. But it's about humbly asking one another to sacrifice for one another, come together. And then magic happens. That's where God is truly there in the details and is there not just in the details, but in the big picture as well. And so, um, I was committed and there was a moment Lex has already forgotten because that's what happens in labor. But there was a moment where she was in a lot of pain. This was before we were waiting on the contractions. The contractions did not come like they've come historically where she does progress to where it's like, you know, two to three minutes apart and we go to the hospital. They, they let us in. That didn't happen this time. She was laboring for like 24 hours almost, but just, irregular contractions they were painful some were really intense and they would continue to get more and more intense but they would never get that that regularity and so at about 12 55 um, a.m on october 5th she woke up in a lot of pain and was like i just can't do this anymore we need to go i need to call it quits you know essentially saying the epidural i didn't uh, agree or consent to, to her not that she needs my consent but like for the epidural right because she had asked me at the beginning of this pregnancy to be committed. And so it was really tough for me because you don't, when your spouse is in pain, you want to just be like, whatever you need, whatever you need, that's at least how I am. But because I'd made that commitment, 
I said, let's go to the hospital. But I was already thinking through how I was going to make sure she didn't get an epidural um, or, or encourage her. Right? I was like struggling and wrestling inside because I was like, I made this commitment to you and I can't back down from that commitment because then I'm not the help you need. But then and it was a struggle. It was like this really balanced struggle that I was having as we drove to the hospital. And thankfully, God took care of me not having to be that, <laughs> that person because we got there and found out she was already dilated to a seven and a half. And so at that point, she was like, well, I think I can do this then. And I was like, you absolutely can do this. Yes. And I'm saying prayers of thanks, saying thank you for not making me be the bad guy of being like, I really think you can do this. <laughs> right. And so anyway, she uh, like I said, her sister Tyra was there as a support as well. Um, we were all there and she labored and did awesome. And it was a beautiful birth. It was exactly how she wanted it and pretty close to how she envisioned it. Um. And it was just a beautiful moment. And of course, I always get really misty eyed uh, during the birth of babies and and our babies in particular. Um, and just for background, I'm not a baby person, never really been a baby person. And the older I get, the obviously the more kids we have, I've become way more softer about babies. And um, I told Lex that I was the most excited about Elsie. Uh, just I think just because I'm getting older and and wiser, I suppose. Apparently that primary song nailed it. So that was the birth. There was really, there was no complications. Lex didn't even tear, which was a huge tender mercy. Her recovery has been great. I think the biggest recovery, honestly, is going to be um, just postpartum emotions and hormones. That's always something that I think we both struggle with. And uh, I struggle with patients. Lex struggles with patients. We unfortunately struggle with patients together. But we have the experience, we rely on one another, and we're going to be great, we're going to be fine. And Elsie's been just this perfect golden angel child. And I can probably say that about all of our kids. Um, whenever I talk about it, I always complain about something with our kids, because I feel like that's just something in my DNA of like, I just am always complaining about something. Uh, but genuinely, real, re, in reality, just a perfect fantastic birth. So I've spent 15 minutes rambling on about personal things. Let's get into this lesson. Um, and if you came here just to hear about the birth update, there you go. Uh, but I invite you and encourage you to stay for this lesson. Hopefully uh, you and I can come together and learn some things through the spirit. In the introduction, it says Paul wrote his epistles to the Philippians and Colossians while he was a prisoner in Rome. But these letters don't have the tone you might expect from someone in prison. Paul spoke more about joy, rejoicing, and thanksgiving than he did about afflictions and trials. Christ is preached, he said, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And though I, excuse me, be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Certainly the peace of God that Paul experienced in his difficult circumstances passes all understanding, but it was nonetheless a reality. In our own trials, we can feel the same peace and rejoice in the Lord always. We can, as Paul did, rely completely upon Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption. We can say, as did Paul, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I'd like to now bear my testimony on a couple of these sections, um, which means I'm not going to focus. The one that we'll focus on today is in section four. I can find joy in Christ, regardless of my circumstances. I think that's the best lesson we learned from Paul. But there's so many great things. I just want to bear my testimony a few, uh, well, on pretty much all the sections. So in section one, it says, my faith is founded on Jesus Christ. 
There's a scripture that I thought was important. It can help supplement something we've talked about before. In Philippians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is speaking of Jesus. This is Paul's testimony about Jesus. This flows really well with Romans chapter 8, 16, and 17. Um, and I think this goes well against the critics. I talked to, when we talked about Romans, I talked about how on my mission, I had been criticized that our belief is that we can be joint heirs. And I said, that's absolutely right. This helps add, if you ever have deal with this criticism here, this is your, the proof, I suppose. This is your scriptural evidence. Uh, it says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And I'm going to continue. It says in Philippians, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I feel like those really um, just correlate really well. Gives a holistic picture. And so I want to bear my testimony about that. And that, yes, we can indeed be joint heirs. That is what we're going for with eternal life. In section two, do we work out our own salvation? In the lesson, it says some people use the phrase work out your your own salvation to support the idea that we are saved only by our own efforts. And it, this is a specific reference to Philippians 2.12, which I want to read now. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that's the verse here. And going on with the lesson, it says, Others use Paul's teachings, By grace are ye saved through faith, to claim that no works are required for salvation. However, the scriptures, including the writings of Paul, clearly teach the need for both the grace of Jesus Christ and personal effort in order to receive salvation. And even in our best efforts to work out our salvation, it is God which worketh in you. Now, I am going to say one thing. I'm not disagreeing with come follow me. However, it says it clearly teaches the need for both grace of Jesus Christ and personal effort. I would argue that it doesn't necessarily clearly teach that. What I mean being, it does clearly teach that. You can, as we study the scriptures, obviously this is true. But it seems to be still a confusing thing, uh, not just for, for those not of our faith, but for those in, of our faith. And we struggle here. The best, and I, I struggled explaining it in the last episode. I remember fumbling through. I've still been thinking about my, my fumble through. What I want to share is this, and I hope I can make it clear. One of the best examples to help me understand this principle of working out our own salvation, but that it is by the grace of Christ, which we were saved, was by, I believe, President Packer. I didn't go back and cite this, but this stuck has stuck in my mind, uh, mostly because they turned it into a, at the time, Mormon message. Now, I, just, I don't know what we call them. They're not Mormon messages, though. But it explained uh, this example. It, President Packer explained that think of it like a man who buys a piece of property. And he gets a loan from, I think in the example it was a, a loan giver, but we'll just say a bank, gets a loan from a bank. And <clears throat> he begins to take care of this land. He begins to farm it to be able to make money, to be able to pay off his loan. And over time, his friends want him to come party and hang out and do all these things. And so he starts to be tempted by this and goes off and makes poor decisions uh, because he he's no longer working to be able to pay off his loan. And the bank comes and says, hey, we need our money, right? And the bank is unforgiving. They don't care about 
his circumstances. They don't care if a storm came. They don't care that he wanted to hang out with his friends on the weekend. They want their money back. That's what they are owed. It's what the contract said. He signed the contract. He agreed to it. And so even though it's heartless on them, it is fully just. They are fully justified in what they are doing. He's about to uh, default on his loan and the consequence being that he's going to go to prison. This friendly neighbor has been watching and paying attention and seeing all this. And as the the bank comes to uh, take him away, take him to prison, lock him up, the neighbor comes out and says, now hold on. What if I pay off his loan? And the bank says, well, what's just is that we take him to prison. He said, but if you have your what what is owed to you will you let him go will you free him and give me the contract instead and so the bank recognizing that while maybe emotionally they would like to take this guy to prison that it is just if they are repaid they accept the payment and they leave the contract then transfers over to this this neighbor and in this uh, individual who was about to go to prison, gratitude says, thank you so much. What what do I need to do to repay you? And this neighbor says, uh, and I think in the example, it's not a neighbor, right? Like, obviously, this, this is Christ in the example, so whatever is represented here. But this neighbor says, <clears throat> I expect you to give your best efforts. I don't expect you to repay me. I don't expect you to pay off the land. However, I do expect you to stop making poor decisions to stop going and partying with your friends on the weekend instead of working hard. I expect your best efforts. If you give me your best efforts, then all is paid. All is forgiven. Um, But if you don't, if you don't give me your best efforts, if you don't try, then I will leave you back up for the jailer um, to come and take you. And so that, to me, is a great parable to help me understand how my works work out my salvation, but it's truly through Christ's grace that I'm actually saved. So that's why when it says that our faith is important, our works are important, and then in conference, right, it was constantly, salvation is an individual matter, exaltation is a family matter. That salvation is an individual matter because I cannot just say, you know, oh, I believe in Christ, therefore I'm saved. Well, that's great that you believe in Christ. That's like a good table stake starting bet, but you actually have to work, give your best. He expects you to be, he doesn't expect you to become perfect. Not right away. While perfection is an, indeed a expectation for eternal life. It's not a be perfect tomorrow, but it is, you have to bring forward your best efforts and improve and actually repent and turn away from the wickedness and the, the bad things we're doing. And when we mess up, the beautiful thing is he lets us start again and again and again and again. And so I hope that was more clear. I hope that example was good if you have had confusion on this relationship between grace and faith, because that has helped me and helped it be more clear for me. And I also recognize how much more gratitude I need to be showing to Christ for saving my soul, Uh, because he's already done it. He's done it for you and he's done it for me. But how much gratitude do we have in that? In section three, it says the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth every sacrifice. And in the lesson, there wasn't necessarily 
uh, a scripture or, or anything that stuck out to me, but in the lesson it says, Paul gave up much when he converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, including the influential place he held in the Jewish society as a Pharisee. Uh, in the specific reading, look for what Paul gained because he was willing to make sacrifices for the gospel. How did he feel about his sacrifices? Then consider your own discipleship. What have you sacrificed for the gospel of Jesus Christ? What have you received? Are there any additional sacrifices you feel you need to make to become a more dedicated disciple of the Savior? And I want to just give context, which is Paul, very likely, had he not converted, would have been the top leader, one of the top leaders uh, of the Pharisees. He would have had a very steady and secure income through the tithes of the people and through, I, I suppose, the taxes of the people. He would have um, been a huge voice in the Jewish society, uh, but not just that. Also, probably would have been one of our greatest adversaries as far as members of Christ's church, because that would have been part of his job and duty. We already know he had the gifts of persuasion, of influence, of speaking, of charisma. Uh, how do we know that? Because when he converted, he used all those gifts for Christ, gave them to the Savior. And you could ask yourself, so what, what did that reward him? What was his reward in this life? Well, he was in prison several times. He was stoned. He was uh, beaten. He was he had to endure a shipwreck, bitten by a snake. Um, these are just these are just the things that we have written down through letters. Uh, we even know that there are missing scriptures and missing writings of Paul that we don't have. How many more things did did he have to endure that we don't even know about? And so you could ask yourself: Is it really worth it? Is it really as a member? Is it worth it to be dedicated to give your all to Christ's cause? And the answer I can say absolutely is yes, a resounding yes, because of his eternal reward. Is there any question where Paul's ended up? Is there any question on the kingdom, the glory that he's received? For me, absolutely not. There's no question that he received celestial glory, celestial status, and it was because of the life that he exemplified, the commitment and the conversion that he had. I can tell you his path, obviously, was celestial glory, and I guarantee he feels quite comfortable sitting in the presence of God. And that is the reward that all of us want because this life will end. But there's an entire entire eternity after, and I would like to be in that celestial sphere. I don't want to be chilling with a bunch of losers in the terrestrial, all right? And I do have, apparently I have to apologize. I said something similar in my testimony on Sunday. I didn't call anyone losers, but I <laughs> called somebody nobodies. And then someone got up after and made a zinger at my... Uh, expense and said, well, I don't think anyone here is a nobody. Well, okay. I'm not perfect. I'm working on it. And finally, in section five, disciples of Jesus Christ become new as they live his gospel. In the lesson, it says, record your thoughts about how the Savior is changing you so that you can review them in the future and ponder how you are progressing. And I wanted to just share one help that I've thought about. It was actually my mission president who enacted this and did this and gave this as a key for my life. Um, every six months or three months, I think it was every three months. Yeah, it was every three months. Our mission president would have us put down goals, two goals, and then one Christ-like trait we wanted to work on. And then we would review it every three months. And then um, if we felt like we'd made significant progress, we'd pick a new one. And if we hadn't, then he had us recommit and work harder. I have paper saved from my mission of the Christ-like traits I worked on of faith, 
of patience and virtue, of charity, of humility, uh, hope. And I, I would work on these and write down thoughts and, and specific action items to work on. That was a huge help for me. I've tried implementing that again, post-mission, obviously. And I got to say, having the mission president built in, <laughs> that accountability, really helpful. Because I knew I had to report to him. And uh, it, it made it easier to, to stick to it. And so I've still tried and tried implementing it and stuff. For me, having that accountability built in was really nice. I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm accountable to Lex, but she's got to want to be able to keep me accountable when it comes to my Christ-like traits. And so it's still a struggle. We're still working on it. But if that helps you, um, that could be something to work on. Uh, and then in section four, and this is the big section that I want to talk about. It says, I can find joy in Christ regardless of my circumstances. There are four scriptures that really build together, that work together. And also, I just couldn't stop writing stuff, writing notes in the margins of my scriptures when I was reading in section four, or uh, chapter four, rather. So these are all in chapter four, verse six of Philippians. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And check this footnote, both A and B. Both are important, I think, for understanding this. At the beginning, it says, uh, be careful for nothing. But translated, it actually says, don't be unduly concerned about anything. And the word careful is actually afflicted. So don't be unduly concerned or uh, about anything or afflicted um, for nothing, but in everything, right, prayer, supplication. This is a commandment or counsel I think it's command counsel to say, have faith, trust in God, be still and quit stressing over stuff that just doesn't matter. Quit stressing over the things that really have no eternal significance or importance. Um, because it's, it's not helping you grow and it's not helping you become a true disciple of Christ. And in verse four, it says, and the peace of God this is following the verse right after. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this gift is priceless. To have the peace as the world is spinning out of control, it, it, this, that is the gift that you want. I promise, I've experienced it. I don't experience it all the time, but I have experienced this gift. It's what I'm constantly working for, striving for. It's why I keep striving to have the Holy Ghost with me always because that's who delivers this gift. And having the peace of Christ, I will say, this is something, honestly, that you're going to have to be careful with because when you have this peace and you're around other people and they're freaking out, it can often come off as that you're either ignorant or apathetic to the things that are happening. And I've, I've experienced this where when I have that peace and everyone around me feels like they're losing their minds. Right. And I'm like, everyone just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. And they're like, you don't understand. If you understood, you'd be freaking out too. And it's, it's that, no, I do understand but I just have this deep-seated feeling inside that everything's going to work out. I don't know how. I can't tell you how. And I've been called naive. I've been called ignorant. I've been called stupid. <laughs> um, and that's been something that I've had to struggle with and work for. And again, I, I, I'm not pretending that I always have this, this peace. And I, there's times where I'm freaking out, right? I've learned to rely on those who truly are. They have it. I can discern that someone has that peace and uh, be prepared for the criticisms and also gain some wisdom. I've had to learn that when I do have that peace and I know everything's going to be okay to not downplay emotions of other people. 
And our perfect example would be Christ here, obviously. But if you remember what happens when Lazarus dies and Martha comes to him before he, cause he waits, he waits to go. Martha comes to him and says, you know, she's crying and says, I know that if you would have been here, you would have been saved, but I know all will be well. Um, I don't know how, but I know all will be well. And then he goes to Mary and Mary's just distraught and a little upset. I mean, pretty upset. Reading between the lines here, we can tell that she's pretty upset and probably upset with Christ because um, she knew, had the faith that he could have saved Lazarus and he wasn't there. And and Christ doesn't say, oh, you have little faith. Uh, how could you have, you know, lost your way? All these things, right? He weeps with her. And so that's the perfect example is that when you have that peace, make sure to also be gaining the wisdom of how you're supposed to... Um, treat other people. It's not about calling everyone else out for lacking faith. It's not about, don't fall into pride. When you have the peace, don't fall into pride because then you'll actually lose the peace anyway. Um, But Christ is our perfect example of of what happens because he was always at peace. He was, uh, that was kind of, that was the sign of that he was Christ. He was always at peace and yet he still treated people with dignity, respect, with love, with empathy. And so, this is not a dichotomy. It can be done. Um, so, yeah. And then in Philippians uh, 4.11, it says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I am wherewith to be content. As we become disciples, we will learn to become content no matter what our circumstances is, are, what our circumstances are. Whether we be in prison, um, whether we didn't receive the promotion we wanted, um, our family members didn't make the correct decisions that we wanted or have chose a different path or have gone off the way, whether the world is crashing around us, whether there's wars breaking out, learn to be content no matter what circumstances we're in. And that's the mark of a true disciple. It's also why we continue to go through trials, very hard trials. I had seen someone had posted, they're, they're no longer of the faith, Again, I feel like I always, like at this point, it feels like every week I'm learning someone else, either a friend or an acquaintance or someone I knew who's posting on social media about how they no, no longer participate in practice. And this individual had posted and said, why is it that we go through trials? Because to me, they feel just completely irrelevant. And it, for whatever reason, this is what broke his faith in the atonement was that the atonement to him felt like a waste of time. And I believe the trials specifically was that they had... Uh, they had miscarried a baby. And so uh, there's tender, tender emotions for them around that specific issue. And I feel like it doesn't matter what trial, what circumstances, all these things truly are to work together for our good. And this isn't because I've had a lack of trials in my life. When I, I am who I am because of what I've gone through and what I'm going to continue to go through. That's the thing is I know that trials are only going to increase and get harder and yeah, there are some times where I'm really like, that scares the crap out of me, where I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What do we have to go through here? And I also know that it's going to make me a better person. It's going to bring me back to Christ. And if that's the only way, as Eve knew, if it's the only way, then, I mean, don't waste time sitting there being like, well, I don't really want to go through these trials, but I guess it's the only way. But like for me, it's if it's the only way, then it's the only way. And we're going to move forward. And I know that I can take faith in what 13 says. 
I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And I know this to be true. Because I know this to be true, I will continue pressing forward and increasing in faith. And I'm, I invite you to post that scripture, this this uh, Philippians 4.13. Post it where you can see this. This will give you hope. It'll give you strength. Um, I know so because it's given me strength and it's given me hope. May I conclude with um, Colossians chapter 2, a couple verses. In Colossians chapter 2, this wasn't necessarily, the, apparently come follow me, didn't find this important, but I do. This, this is an invitation. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And this is a beautiful key to keeping us safe, is don't fall for the philosophies, the vain deceits, the traditions of men. Um, these are increasing. They're going to increase. You better prepare yourself. They're going to get harder and harder. And thinking about AI and the way that AI can be used, yeah, this is definitely going to get more difficult. The gift of discernment is going to be key and pivotal in the final days. It already is. But the key that we have, and I would invite you to really ponder, if you if you have questions on who you can trust, um, where you can go for truth, well, the first source of truth should be Christ and the Holy Ghost. So build that relationship. Make that the most important thing that you do and work on. Because um, then you don't need to necessarily stress about like what someone else is saying, what a mortal is saying. You can trust divine, the divine. Second, you can always trust the scriptures. Uh, go to the scriptures. That's where the Holy Ghost is going to speak to you and teach you. And then... You can trust our prophet because God has promised that he will not allow the prophet to lead us astray. So you can trust the prophet. You can trust our apostles. Um, they are leading the church in righteousness and will continue to do so. And if any of them stop doing so, they will be removed. I have no doubt about that. God will see to it that his people are led in the right way. And then with everyone else, trust those whose fruits are the same fruits that Christ has. You know people by their fruits. If someone's fruits are spoiled, if someone's fruits are evil, and you'll know because um, when someone takes like pride to themselves and pride in their own, their own works, they don't give it to God, avoid those people. If someone is a really charismatic speaker, but they never share like the fact that it is, it's, it's all bringing back to Christ, if they're not taking back to Christ, yeah, that's someone you should avoid, like the plague. And... Um, in, in the final days, we know that there will be Latter-day Saints who will fall off the path, where they will be tempted by Satan, and I worry about the influence that they'll have. That's why I always worry about, and uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm an overly charismatic speaker. I think I fumble so much that oftentimes I feel more like, uh, like Enoch did, <laughs> where he was like, well, the people hate me because of my, my weakness in speech, and I relate more to that, I feel like. But it's why I always make sure uh, it can be really easy because I'm, I'm very confident in my opinions. I'm confident in my worldview. And so I keep people around me who disagree with me constantly. My, my closest and bestest friends are those who think just completely different than I do. Uh, politically, uh, on a cultural level, on even in the gospel. And I love these, I love these friends because they make sure to call me out, to keep me on the straight and narrow. And for me, that's my strength. I don't gravitate towards people who are exactly like I am. And I invite differences 
And that has helped me. That's been the, probably the greatest strength in my entire life is that that's what I gravitate to is, is people who think differently. And they don't always love what I have to say. And so I learned to listen more than I learned to talk, which I think is a really important skill and trait that I've been forced to because of my own gravitation, been forced to learn, um, especially just not a, on a regular day-to-day living level. And so let me uh, read two more scriptures, then we're out. Colossians 2.18, it says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Again, I don't care if someone's a, you know, a Latter-day Saint, have held all the callings, gotten all the gold stars. If they are not aligned with Christ, you be careful of those people. Be careful of anyone who's trying to take glory to themselves. Um, and there's also the people who start out good and then go astray. Satan is trying to tempt us all the time. And so that's, that's something that I'm always worried about and aware of for myself is you got to constantly be on the straight and narrow. You don't just get to, to start there and say, well, I've, I'm on the straight and narrow. Not if you let go. And finally, in 20 and 23, 22, 23, it says, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ for the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a shoe of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of flesh. And this, to me, is key. If with earthly wisdom we know not to touch a hot stove, and we don't consider that losing our freedoms or not getting to live my truth, whatever, then why do we fight against God's commandments? Things like not drinking coffee or alcohol or smoking or wearing our temple garments when we've made those covenants always or partaking the sacrament worthily each week. Why do we fight against those things and say that it's, you know, hurting our freedoms, it's hurting our ability to be us, to be a, to be who we are? Because it's things spiritual. So just because it's spiritual, you got to think with a spiritual mind. Don't just think with the carnal mind. Look up. Look up and the Holy Ghost will instruct you. And that's the key. That's how we stay safe. Quit looking with such a carnal mind. That's for me as much as it is for you. And that's my invitation. So thank you for joining my fam room discussion. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.